Welcome back, Journeyers, to another episode of Reed Keeper's Journey. A lot of excitement again last week. We had the kids make it to the rendezvous point. There was a big battle between the high priest and Trindoc, and we don't know how Trindoc's doing. The kids made it out of the city, and that's where they're waiting for Trindoc to finally teleport them. And as they're waiting, Kith, the girl who was singing to Hippolyta a few years ago, no, sorry, <laughs> it feels like a few years ago. While Kith was singing to Trendok, the Unthing attacked her. He saved her, but at the end of last chapter, she turned around and attacked Zoe. Now, back to the story. Chapter 53 Heather's head snapped up at the sound of a scream. Two women wrestled, the glint of their knives flashing in the moonlight. She couldn't tell who was wrestling, and the tussle was eerily quiet as the bodies rolled about with only the faint ting of metal striking metal. The dryad leaf armor made the fighters all but invisible as they grappled. A tiny figure pinned the other to the ground, her raised knife silhouetted against the moonlight. Another scream, this one cut off by a gurgling sound. Zoe stood, her long blade shoved up to the lower jaw of the small dryad, whose arms dangled at her side. Zoe flung the body away, where it lay motionless. Heather gasped. Michael cradled Zine's head in his lap. Her white hair splayed across his legs as she clutched at her stomach. Zoe! Michael cried, a sad wailing sound like that of a lost child. The redhead breathed the curse and dropped to her knees, producing a cloth from her armor to put pressure on the wound. Zine groaned and reached up to grip Michael's shoulder with a bloody hand. Do something! Michael was crying now, and it broke Heather's heart to see it. You're going to be fine, Zine. Just hold on. It's going to be okay. Please, just hold on. Clister rushed past Heather and knelt across from Zoe. Let me look. Zoe nodded and pulled back her hands for a moment and then replaced them, her hands covered with blood that looked blackish in the moonlight. Callista shook her head. No. Heather whispered, echoing Michael's denial. Steve stepped up beside her and took her hand, which she gripped back as she watched the drama unfold. I won't let her die, Michael said with the all-too-familiar edge to his voice. Blood began to leak from the strange cuts on his face and mingle with his tears. She saved my life! Zine touched Michael's cheek with wet fingers. No, Michael. Reed, it is my time. Her arm fell back to her side. We, We could take her back. Michael looked to the wall. We could, we could take her somewhere. There is nowhere to go, Michael, Zoe said. The risk of us is too great, and her odds would not improve. Ebb, Michael shouted. One of the Lektok stepped forward. Where do you live? Where are the other Lektok? It's at least a day and a half. He shook his head, the braids of his long beard swaying back and forth. Is there a clearing? Describe it to me. There's a huge dome of rock split in two. Aye, there's a clearing. Before a lake that shines like a mirror. Our people hide there at the foot of their mountain. I know it. Zine, it's going to be okay, Michael said, brushing a few stray hairs from her face. But her eyes were closed, and her breaths grew quicker and shallower. Michael closed his eyes, and all the emotion drained from his face. A brilliant gold light blazed off to Heather's right. She turned her head from it and raised her hand to shield her eyes but there was nothing to shield her eyes from. The light burned in her mind. A small sun hovered above the ground, pouring out power and heat 
and light, but no one else saw it, their eyes still fastened on the dreadful passing of their companion. Michael's body shimmered, enveloped in a nimbus of the same glow. He cried out, and the glow exploded in intensity. In her mind, Heather saw a white line appear as bright as molten metal in the golden orb. It grew, stretching ten feet from the ground, and then widened into a square of white liquid suspended vertically in the air. The doorway was visible to everyone, as some cried out in alarm while others shirked from the display of power. Gar's teeth, Eb breathed. Go, Michael said through gritted teeth. Can't hold it long. When no one moved, he shouted, his voice thundering. Now! The camp sprang into motion. Salsus and the centurions covered the eyes of the horses, quieting them as the two dryads launched through the portal, disappearing into the perpendicular pool of light. A shout came back, affirming that it was safe. Come on, Steve said, pulling Heather along, following the other dwarves, stepping into the sun. Heather was bathed in warm light that flowed around her and then was replaced by cold, thin mountain air. There was no pause from one extreme to the other, even though it seemed to her that she slowly entered the pool of light. She was instantaneously surrounded by light and warmth, and it vanished just as quickly. Disoriented, Heather looked down at the stars as Steve pulled her away from the blazing entrance, the blinding light still outshining all thoughts. She looked up to the stars, the Milky Way looking like sugar scattered across the sky, and then back down to see the same image, and she realized she was looking at the sky reflected by water. She looked up again, eyes falling on an enormous cliff shaped like a half-broken bowl. Is that, is that Half Dome? Are we in Yosemite? Get the healer, now! Eb shouted at the two dwarves who gaped at the newcomers. They turned and ran towards a boulder where they disappeared into the recess of the rock. The remaining dryads appeared, carrying Zine through the doorway, followed by centurions leading the horses, and finally Michael being half-carried by Bear. Everyone? Michael grunted. Yes, Bear said, setting him on the ground. There was a deafening clap as the doorway shut, leaving the party stunned and blinded in the new dark. Michael coughed a laugh. Probably should have done that slower, he said, and passed out. New lek talk began pouring from around the rock where the first two disappeared. The new arrivals didn't look all that happy to see them. Their procession would have struck Heather as comical if the majority of them weren't armed to the teeth. They all looked remarkably like her boyfriend, short, incredibly stocky, and bearded. One female led the group with a staff in hand and a grim look on her face. Eb, she gruffed. Should have known. You're neck deep in something again, aren't you? The surly Lektok kicked at a stone, head down. It's not my fault, Alma. They helped us and needed help. Alma sniffed and made a beeline to Zine. In the pale moonlight, the Metaf looked ghost white and she was hyperventilating, her breathing growing weaker by the second. As Alma knelt beside Zine, Heather saw a light in her mind again, but not near the intensity of what Michael had produced. Heather could see a red light flicker with green faintly glowing from the dwarf's hands. Her eyes saw no such light. The eerie glow was superimposed on her vision, much like a purple afterimage from a bright flash. Is that what magic looks like? Heather asked herself. 
Looks like what? Steve asked. Shh. She's doing something to Zine. I can sort of see a light coming off her hands. Zine shook, taking a huge deep breath, and then settled again, breathing softly and evenly. Heather threw her arms around Steve, thankful that Zine lived, and guilty for feeling relief that Steve wasn't the one hurt. He said something, but it was muffled by her body. Alma stood, which wasn't that big of a difference from her kneeling, and addressed Zoe and Callista. She'll live for now. But the gut's gotten to her blood. We'll have to wait and see. But not out here. The smell of blood will draw others. She barked a few words that seemed completely composed of Y's, V's, and K's. Two dwarves appeared with a stretcher, and they carefully laid Zine on and carried her away. Amma addressed the group. I won't leave you here to be eaten by what's in our woods. Some faint grumbling arose from the Lektok group, but she silenced it with a look. Know this. What you see here is for Lektok eyes only. Tread carefully. She marched over to Michael, who lay passed out in Bear's lap, and thumbed back an eyelid. He's just exhausted, quiet one. Bring him in with the others. She said to Bear, and turned and barked another order to the two carrying Zine, who hurriedly, but gently, carried her into the boulder. Chapter 54 Michael stared at the smithy's cold forge. Knowing he wasn't in reality, he still held out his hand to test the heat. It felt a day's cold, maybe less. The workshop looked diminished somehow, a slight rounding off at the edges, a sense of fading to the tools. The white void that surrounded the workplace and trailed off to eternity had taken on a darker hue, too, as if the source of light that powered it was fading. The smithy was nowhere to be found. Michael's sword had changed as well. It now was a ghost hanging at his hip, transparent, ethereal, and when he reached for it, his hand passed through it. Something was very wrong. Michael closed his eyes and felt the world reshape itself around him and become reality. He lay motionless on his back, listening to the echoes generated by a steady drip of water. The air was laden with moisture and the smell of mud. Someone held his hand as he slept. Zoe? No, too small. Stacy, then. Michael opened his eyes to another part of the world he was a stranger to and looked at his sister, concern etching her youthful face. She smiled at him with evident relief and then called him a stupid head. If you don't stop scaring me like this, I'm gonna, like, totally wig out on you. She chastised. Sorry, Stace. Don't you sorry, Stace, me. I'm serious, Michael. I was really worried. Is Zena okay? She compressed her lips, and for a second, Michael feared she might really let loose on him. But she relented. Yes, she's going to be okay. Michael sat up, perhaps a little too fast due to how the room spun in protest, but he managed not to fall over. I didn't mean to scare you, Stacy, but I had to do something. She saved my life, and I, I just couldn't let her die. She didn't look like she was buying any of his reasoning. I, I guess I wasn't thinking too clearly. You think? Well, look who decided to wake up. How you feeling, Kimosabi? Steve sauntered into the cramped underground room of rock and earth. The area looked built for Steve's height, which, Michael figured, it must be since they were in Lektok country now. Heather trailed behind Steve, stooping slightly so as not to hit her head. 
Farrah must be hating it down here. Michael thought, Heather's taller too. Taller than me, and maybe as tall as Ken now. How long was I out? Michael stood and reached for his sword and stopped. Almost a day, Steve said. That was some trick you pulled. What's wrong? Michael threw back the blankets on his bed and then dropped to his knees to look under it. Nothing. His hands went to his side again, and he felt along the blankets, hoping that he had missed it somehow. Where's my sword? He could feel the edge growing in his voice, and he didn't care, which he knew wasn't a good sign. Well, when was the last time you had it with you? Heather asked. I always have it with me. Maybe they can find you another one, Stacy suggested. Michael's frustration grew with each stupid suggestion. He knew they were just trying to help, but his temper didn't care. Just stop! He snapped and dropped onto the bed. Let me think. Let me think. He buried his face in his hands, feeling the blood against his palms. He took long, deep breaths and sought the sensation of the omnia, the feeling of oneness. It was there, off in the distance, the wall of his emotion blocking his way to grasping it. Still, it helped a little, knowing it was there. Who was here with me? Just me and Ken for a little while, Stacy said. The whole time? No, I had to go to the bathroom, which was gross, thanks for asking, and Ken was gone when I got back. Where's Ken now? Up top, I think, Steve said. Okay, let's go. Michael stood. He had to get out from under all this rock. Whoa, wait a second. We can't just go roaming around, Steve said. We're not exactly welcome around here. Surprise, surprise, Michael thought. We can't leave? No one said that yet, Heather interjected. But we need to tread lightly. Well, I'm going to go tread lightly and go fight Ken, Michael said. Michael, can't you just stop for a second? Stacy said. This isn't the Michael Reed show. We're all in this together. Get a grip already. Zena's going to make it because of you. Take a second and enjoy the victory for once. I need my sword, Michael grated but he could see her point. He could be a little too self-involved at times. She hardly seemed like his little sister anymore. She had grown through this whole ordeal. And she returned a look that said, yes, you can be. And Michael wondered if she could read his mind. And then it was clear. The ribbons in her hair and the wire wrapped around the steel ball on his head. That was Stacy and Callista. Okay, I get it that you need it. But first, let's find out what these people prob is with us before you go all ramble on them. It is not about you. It's us, the healer Omna said from the doorway. This place, the old dwarf looked around in disgust. It's not our real home, but we were forced to live in this mud-caked hovel because of Car. Car's their nanny, Stacy said. Very good, little one. Amma said, and missed how Stacy bristled at the comment of little one. Either that or she didn't care. Michael figured it was the latter. We live like worms because he refuses to get over Freya's death. This shames us, and we do not like to see others see how we live. And I wouldn't have, but Eb practically begged me to let you in. That's not what happened, Eb said, entering the room. And I owe him. Steve Voss did not hesitate to come to my aid, and he's Lektok even if he has a baby's beard. Steve blanched, and Michael saw Heather give his hand a quick squeeze. But it's worse for you, Sparky. 
The redhead and the shiny sword are gone. What? Michael shouted. There's never a lack of fools. Alma said. Freya, Carr's dead wife, had red hair. They think that they can snap the idiot out of his constant weeping if they find another redhead to play with. The idiots will probably think that they give the sword as a wedding present. What happens when he rejects the girls? Heather asked. We do not know, but they don't come back. Several dryads stood with Bear and Kin when Michael and the group emerged from behind the boulder that was the entrance to the now Lektok kingdom. Callista looked pained, worried, and more than a little impatient to be on their way. Michael knew exactly how she felt. Ken strode over, clear that he didn't approve of the endeavor. His friend didn't look well, either. The ashen look to his skin had grown worse, and he kept squinting as if he suffered from a migraine that made his eyes sensitive to light. For the first time, Michael wondered what type of diseases did this place have. He doubted they had vaccination for things like measles or polio, but then again, could a dwarf or an elf get the chickenpox? Ken cut off his train of thought with an abrupt, No, you are not going. Michael was proud that he didn't just hit Ken in the face. With each passing second, the sword was getting farther and farther away. But he still maintained his temper. Maybe its contact had a residual effect. Or maybe he was just learning to deal with his chaotic emotions. But it didn't matter. This was not about the sword. I swear, if you don't get out of my way... Michael growled. What? You'll do what? Hit me like Jack does to you? Is that what you want? Do you want to be like dear old dad? Michael pushed past him, but Ken grabbed a hold of his shirt. What matters is us, Ken pleaded. We are your friends. You can just get another sword. Michael tried to push him away, but Ken held fast. It's not about the sword. You're going after her? Are you kidding me? Ken shook him. We're your friends. These things aren't even real. He flung his arms wide, gesturing to the Metaf and the Lektok. You're going to ruin everything because you got the hots for some chick? Looking back, Michael would never be able to tell if he lost his temper because the way Ken tried to manhandle him like Jack used to, or because Ken hit a little too close to home about him abandoning his friends because of a girl. Or... Maybe it was a little bit of both. What he did know was that his life changed forever when he shoved Ken off him. The fire inside of Michael ignited like a massive ball of gas, flaming with an intense rush of heat and light, but then dissipated as quickly as it came. Michael shoved Ken, but as his friend toppled backward, Michael lunged to catch him and grabbed his shirt. The fabric tore and Ken fell to the ground. Rage painted Ken's face, and his mouth opened to scream at Michael, but stopped when he saw all eyes staring at him and his exposed chest. Five small slices marred his chest. Four were spaced equally apart, with the fifth farther away and a little lower than the rest, like cuts made from fingernails. Ken bore the mark of the woman with the eyes. Ken? Michael said, knowing but not wanting to believe. Ken looked, deflated, like a caged animal that had finally accepted it had been caught. It wasn't relief, but a deep weariness settled into his bones. My mom has cancer, he said, standing and unapologetic. Please, no, 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 Michael thought. So you made a deal. Ken nodded, 
He tried to straighten his shirt and then let his hands drop, giving up on the task. After my dad was killed, he paused. We carry the dead with us, and we only put them down when we die. And if we're lucky enough, someone will carry us, I suppose. I just didn't have the strength to carry my mom. You brought us here. No, the unthing did. I just helped a little. He pointed at Heather. It wants her. And what is she but just another conquest of Steve's? It said it would save mom if I just delivered her. Heather. Her name is Heather. A flash of scenes played before Michael's eyes. Ken leading them down the cave. Ken telling them to go explore more. Ken changing his mind to stay behind with the girls as Michael and the rest of the guys went looking for Trendock. Come on, Michael, Ken said as Michael watched his friend's skin begin to blacken. If we hand Heather over, we can just go home. We become what we most resemble, Michael thought. Ken's turning into an exo, and he doesn't even realize it. A rock whizzed past Michael's head and struck Ken in the shoulder. He yowled in pain. Michael spun to see chaos behind him. Heather stood, mouth agape. Stacy was looking for something else to throw, and Bear was doing his best to restrain Steve, but was losing. The Metef had murder in their eyes. Callista hefted a spear, and Michael stepped in front of his best friend of 12 years, blocking her shot. Run! I don't care where you go, but if you don't go now, they're going to kill you, and I won't stop them. Ken fled. Michael watched his friend escape into the surrounding wood, his skin blackening and his joints twisting as he ran. Well, that's all for this episode, Journeyers. Come back next week and we see Michael and his friends raid the mountain and they try to confront Carr and get Zoe and the sword back. Until then, thanks for listening and be good to one another.